Morning Liberty. Well, hello there. Welcome back to the Good Morning Liberty podcast. My name is Nate, and of course, Charlie's here too. What's up, Charlie? Hey, what's going on, man? Oh, man, I had such a good time this weekend at the Young Americans for Liberty convention. How about you? Oh, I had a great time too. Was I there? I think you were. Yeah, that's right. I was. The, I was you were there. the tall guy. Yeah. Yeah. Probably one of the tallest. Yeah. It was a lot of driving, by the way. Detroit's not close to Nashville. I did a lot of riding. You did do a lot mm-hmm. of riding. Mainly me, too, because my car kind of steers itself these days. It was 2019. They don't really have to do anything. But, I mean, well, it was a long trip. It was like 16, 17 hours of driving, but it was well worth it. We got to see Rand Paul, Justin Amash, and a whole bunch of students that are really, really excited about Liberty. Yeah. So it was awesome. Great so, weekend. Yeah, met a lot of cool people. Uh, we're giving away a gun, so we had a lot of a lot of people signing up for that. Um, Who so, doesn't want a free gun? I don't know. I don't know anyone that doesn't want a free gun mm-hmm. at all. But um, hey, if you have not subscribed to the podcast, I recommend doing that. There is a button somewhere on your phone or your computer. It says subscribe. If you hit that, then our episode is automatically going to go right to your phone, and you won't have to worry about going and looking for it. Just go ahead and automate every single thing that you can. This is one of those things, okay? Now, today, we're going to talk about Monopoly, and we're going to talk about the word Monopoly and whether or not uh, this pertains to Amazon, because I know that I've seen kind of this narrative out there that some of these big corporations, these big, evil, large, greedy corporations are out there. They're monopolies. You heard the same thing about Walmart. Uh, the government at one point in time sued AT&T. They've sued. They actually Al- broke up AT&T. Yeah, yeah that was. Uh, uh, Bell South and all that. Yeah, and then they did it. Um, see, they had sued Morton Salt. They sued Microsoft. Mor- yeah, my- Microsoft also. Um, you know, so the government has been suing businesses uh, under the assertion that they are a monopoly or they are doing predatory pricing, they are forming cartels, price fixing, anything like this. The government has been trying to take care of this since 1890 in the Sherman Antitrust Act. And I think, you know, you get people like Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren out there, and since they're trying to get your your emotional strings pulled, they know that they could keep pulling them if they go ahead and tell you all the ways that Amazon is a monopoly, this evil, evil Amazon. And Charlie had a interesting conversation with someone on Facebook. I guess this is kind of an addition of comment section, really. Yeah. Uh, this is this That's is what a, sparked this whole thing. Yeah, we were we were talking to this. Well, Charlie was talking uh, back and forth with this person on Facebook. And really, she just threw it out there. You know, Amazon's a monopoly, and they're doing this, this, and this. And I just wanted to, I wanted to really take that head on, and let's talk about whether or not Amazon is a monopoly. So is Amazon just preventing anybody else from entering the market? Anybody else offering free two-day shipping? <laughs> uh, free one-day shipping on some items three two-hour shipping are they excluding uh everyone else you know we passed a lot of prime trucks on the road on the way back and every time i saw one i was like that's just got to be a truck of death yeah just a big he was throwing banana peels out Mm -hmm. at the other semi trucks that were behind them one of them was he was following a kroger truck he was chasing them down i saw that probably evil intentions because kroger can't exist with if amazon's there i think the the problem (laughs) we have to say first is um 
what it, you know what is a monopoly because there's a couple different ways to define that. Well, it's a board game. It is a board game, and they have a new edition out, I believe. Uh, oh, the the, the millennial, the millennial. Well, they do. Yeah, they had that too. There's the um, monopoly for millennials. Yeah. My uh, my little niece wanted to play that one time. She saw it in Target, and we grabbed it. And you know how you win monopoly for min- millennials? You gather experience points. The most life experience. There's no money. You win it by getting the most life experience. Because that puts food on the table. Yeah, that's how you win these days, is by having the most life experience. So uh, you're doing a great job, people uh, that have kids. Way to go. Yeah. Way to go. Now, that's not what my... Uh, niece thought was cool. She just thought it had a cool cover on the front of it, and she knew that people like to play Monopoly. Yeah. You know, that's it. But, so. you know, board games aside, we're going to talk about what a Monopoly is in a business, uh, or I guess in what you would consider the market. So what does it mean to have an actual Monopoly? Now, I guess the first question is, has America ever had any Monopolies ever? Um, there could be some cases made for some back in the day. You know, there were uh, cases against Rockefeller and Morton Salt. And what I found through digging through all of these, this is the really interesting part. Um, I couldn't find any cases of someone being charged with an antitrust lawsuit because they put all of their competitors out of business and then jacked up their prices really high to, to make money with no competition. Um, not really uh, a lot of instances of that happening. And even Thomas Sowell in Basic Economics pointed to that and said there's that there haven't been any, any trust cases because someone did that. That's just a fear and something people say companies will do. But if you study economics, you would know that anytime you raise your prices back up, that opens the market back up for new competitors to come in. So the you know Rockefeller would uh, knock out some competition, and then if he started to raise his prices, new competition would come in. So he'd have to go down again. And then as he started to raise his prices, new competition would come in, and he'd have to go down again. So this idea that you know people are going to corner the market and then raise their prices is really more, it's honestly more of a myth than anything. The only Be- time I would say it's actually played out is if you look at, like, the mafia. Yeah. Like, they control a territory, and if you try to sell in their territory, they'll kill you. Yeah, and by mafia, <laughs> the, by mafia do you mean the government? Well, that too, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah pe- people who can use force over other people. Right. That's the yeah. only way to actually prevent somebody from competing with you. Yeah, and now the other thing is you can see it in small areas, say small towns, if one store goes in and they lower their prices where uh, the competition goes out of business. And let's just say it's such a small area that no one else is coming into that area. You know, people up where we're from would say, that Verizon is a is a monopoly, or you go out in the middle of the country and they'll say that Verizon's a monopoly because it's the only cell phone provider that you can use. That's not exactly a monopoly. You know, Verizon's not doing anything to stop any other businesses from coming there. They're just the only business that can't afford to go to those places. So there's there's these different definitions of monopoly that people really confuse back and forth. If you see that a company has 90% of the market then a lot of people would say, well, they've got a monopoly. Or even if it's 100% in your small town, well, they've got a monopoly. I would say there's another small example uh, locally you could use with uh, cable companies and internet companies. Yeah, yeah. 
But the only reason why there's no competition, like say you move into a house and your only option is uh, Comcast or your only option is TDS or whatever the provider is, the only reason why that's your only option is because the government won't allow another company <laughs> to lay lines. It's because those companies <laughs> made deals with the government for them right. to only be the providers you would be allowed to have in that area. That's the only way they're able to do it. They have to go to someone who can use force over you. Right. And if it, if it weren't for the government making that deal and saying... Only these providers can send this through this line, then a lot of other companies would likely pop up. Maybe that's not always the case in like your smaller areas, but you would likely have a lot more competition. So when we talk about monopoly, we have to decide what we're talking about because just because you have a large portion of the market or even the whole market doesn't necessarily mean that you have a monopoly, it means that you're just the best person then in that area and no one else has been able to beat you to me a monopoly would be and also we'll talk about later some of the judges who have ruled on this to me a monopoly would be your ability to create barriers for other competition to enter the market if you can actually stop other people from entering the market then you're forming a monopoly at that point in time but if you just happen to be the only person in the space that doesn't necessarily mean that you're a monopoly. It may, might mean that you're just the best one that there is. You know, Rockefeller was potentially a monopoly or the only person because he was doing it cheaper than anyone else could. And, you know, what's the alternative? It would be better for everyone to pay more for everything? Like, does that automatically mean it's better? Yeah. You know? Well, you got options now. Yeah. <laughs> That's the thing. You have options. You just all, they're all um, more expensive. You'll probably still go to the cheapest one, more than likely. And and that's the thing. Like it's just you can't, not as cheap as it could be. You can't force people to go to the more expensive competitors. Like right. that's what you're talking about doing at that point in time. So what uh, you know what did this what did this person have to say? Um, what did this person have to say about Amazon? Well, it was an interesting conversation, and I actually got her to backtrack just a little bit by just uh, by having a conversation with her because she uh, said that Amazon was a pretty clear example of a monopoly. And uh, someone that gets uh, the Trump tax cuts, of course. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you could tell, like, this is somebody I was never going to win uh, over. It was never I was never going to convert this person. And I mainly kept uh, the conversation going with her because other people read your replies and everything. So it's it behooves you to make sure that you're civil uh, in your discourse um, and you stand firm on the principles, but you. You uh, don't attack the other person because what happens is, uh, even though you may not convert that person in the argument, you can instill ideas. You can plant those seeds that we ta- that we've talked about before, and you can also other people will come behind and they'll read this conversation because it's really interesting, especially the parts that I wrote. Uh, so, so one of your comebacks on her was the fact that you, she posted an article to prove her point yet. She did not read the article. So you went and read the article and in that article, it specifically said something against the point that she was trying to make, which was pretty amazing that she just found a headline right. that she liked. Now she claimed that she did read the article. Okay. However, she she you know she said monopolies don't exist in America. Laugh out loud. Okay, even Forbes disagrees, and why should they care? So she posted this article from Forbes, and the headline reads: "America has a monopoly problem." But as you go down through the article, 
the one of the first things that the the writer mentioned mentions is he said this wouldn't be the case if we had a tr- if we had true capitalism. Yeah. Now what he's what he's alluding to there is that this is the author in the Forbes article yes, saying this. Yes. Okay. Yeah, and what he's saying is is that basically the article uh, encompasses uh, some large corporations that have a gigantic share of the market. So, for instance, there's three telecom companies that have 80% of the market. There's uh, uh, whatever. Which three, by definition, is not a, Still mon- not a mono anything. Right. But you could make the case that large companies are getting larger uh, because there are some barriers for their uh, barriers to entry for their competitors, you can and they make are, that case. And they are acquiring some of their competitors, right? Also. And they are acquiring some of their competitors because the competitors are willing to sell, obviously. And then on the on the flip side, they're able to undercut some competitors because they have some advantages that their competitors don't have. Now you can make that case, but that's not a monopoly. And so I had that conversation with her. But I the difference is. The way to solve this problem that we're talking about here um, is not what what she's arguing for is a couple things. She somehow arbitrarily decided that a billion dollars is too much for any one human to have. Yeah. So uh, good job on Bernie Sanders for marketing exactly his message. So we don't know, and I I tried to get I tried to get out what the actual number was. Like, where do we stop people? Like once you make it to a certain point, like you're just not allowed to earn any more because you just don't need it. Yeah. Humans don't need a billion dollars. Uh, and technically we don't actually need anything else besides food, water, and shelter. Technically. Yeah. So, you know, e- even the fact that you get to listen to this podcast, you privileged little twerp, you, <laughs> you know, how dare you? You don't need this podcast. You don't need it. Yes, you do. Kidding. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, but you know, so we. We have to understand, well, it's hard to have a conversation with somebody who just decides that. Yeah. Um, and so that was one argument. And the second argument was that to prevent um, to prevent people from making this much money, we have to have the government take it from them. Yeah. Uh, so, it's, so, so the government can spend it wisely <laughs> and not that person. As right? they always do. And so, but there was a lot of back and forth on what monopolies are um and then you know the kind of the whole conversation ended with hey we're not going to agree uh she didn't even agree that bezos uh wanted to do anything about climate change because he can he's one of the biggest contributors so why would he even want to solve the problem uh she doesn't trust him as a as an advisor on space travel yeah well Um, actually she said that she didn't want jeff bezos deciding our you know what we did in space travel and the point I had to say back about that is that Jeff Bezos is not deciding anything. He's one of the businesses with Blue Origin. He's one of the businesses that is competing in that market, and he can take things into space, and he can try and put some solar panels out there and bring some energy back, or he can try and launch some satellites up to bring internet to the whole world. But Jeff Bezos is not deciding anything in space travel. You know that that's not happening. There are other people like. SpaceX, obviously. Uh, I don't know if uh, if Virgin's still trying to do their their uh, commercial spaceflight thing that they were working on a while back. But uh, Brunson, you know, yeah. There's there's other companies out there in space travel. So and also, I guarantee you, it's not like Blue Origin isn't just Jeff Bezos. By no, the way. no. I bet he's hired maybe even some of the same physicists and scientists and and rocket engineers 
That would have worked for NASA. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. But they're you, probably making more money working yeah, for Blue Origin. You just take that, oh, we need to take that money from Jeff Bezos and then give it to the U.S. government, and then the U.S. government's going to have to hire the same people that are working for Jeff Bezos right now. So I don't, I don't see how you see that that's somehow better. But so this idea that a company that has a large market share is automatically a monopoly, this is a mentality that a lot of people have, and they like to throw this word monopoly around. I wanted to point to this. I wanted to point to this um, this court case. And this is a, a really interesting story that's in the book, Basic Economics. I, I have to mention that three times in every podcast due to the binding stipulation that states that I mentioned basic economics in this portion of the podcast. So I went ahead and did that. Um, so in there, the, we had this case, United States versus Sufi Enterprises. All right, so this was a, a movie theater chain, basically, uh, or it's a company that owns movie theaters. So this happened in Las Vegas. This, this movie theater moved into Las Vegas in the 80s. It was in 81. And they, they were two other theaters. And they were your more older style, you know, single screen, you know, your, your kind of old school movie theaters that you can, that you can imagine. Um, so he came in there and he bought those two businesses when he put in his movie theater. So after that happened, uh, this kind of controversy, I guess, got drummed up and the U.S. government ended up suing him and saying that he had a monopoly in Las Vegas on on movie theaters because he had 23 screens in his one movie theater and he was showing 100% of all of the new movie screenings were at his movie theater. So they were asserting that he was, in fact, a monopoly. And so here's the really funny part. By the time this made it to the Ninth Circuit Appeals Court, is that what it is? Yeah. Um, yeah. Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. By the time it made it in the court in 1990, that theater wasn't even the biggest theater in Las Vegas anymore. There was another theater that had 28 screens. Huh. So he wasn't even, he didn't even have even 50% of the market anymore at that time. Now I want to. Uh, well, he's got to sue that guy then. Yeah, I, I want to <laughs> tell you how important that notion is right there. The U.S. government was suing this person in assertion that they had a monopoly in Las Vegas, and when it finally got to court, there was already a bigger movie theater in Las Vegas at that time that had moved into the market. Now, what does that say to you about what their definition of a monopoly is? Because I would say that your idea, when you think about a monopoly, like what's the, you know, what's the problem people see with a monopoly? Like, what do they imagine? You know, it's going to keep competitors out, right? You're going to end up having predatory pricing or thing, you know, things like that. It's going to keep out competition. So if you do these lawsuits against the against these businesses, and now we see that it's it's so subjective and kind of arbitrary that even the person that they that they decided was a monopoly wasn't even able to keep out any competition in Las Vegas. He wasn't even the biggest movie theater by the time it came around. So that idea right there, and this was actually from one of the judges who said, let's see, this was Alex Kaczynski. Uh, He basically said that the monopoly was not simply your share of the market, but it was your ability to keep other competitors out of that market. So that's how we have to define a monopoly. And so my question would be, you know, the Sufi, I don't know, he should have changed his name. I don't like, I don't like that. Yeah. It's S-Y-U-F-Y. That's Sufi. 
I mean, it just is. Sufi. Sufi. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's fine. There's, there's two E's. Yeah. I wish you would have considered the fact that people with a slight lisp would have a hard time saying stuff like that, <laughs> but you know, that's fine. Um, so <laughs> this guy, Sufi, uh, he didn't create any barriers to entry. Now, who can we name who's really good at creating barriers to entry? Mm-mm, I know. Who's What's that? Uh, the state. The state. That's who does or any it. form of government. Yes, because you do not have the power of force as a business against your competitors. You cannot really keep other people from entering unless you are charging the best price and providing the best service. That's the only way you can keep out competitors. And, and if and, no one's figured out to be more efficient and cheaper than you, then they're not going to be able to do it. Yeah. And so my question would be, you know, has Bezos created any barriers for other people to enter that market? Let's just look at their numbers. Yeah. Why don't we? I'm going to, we're going to make the point that he's actually created new avenues for people to enter the market in what he has done. Yeah. So if Amazon is a monopoly, you would think that they would have at least a hundred percent of, let's just take the e-commerce market. They would have a hundred percent of, of online sales. Yeah. Right. If they're a monopoly, yeah. whether or not they're creating barriers, they would at least have a hundred percent of sales. Mono already. is one. Right. So, uh, let's just see what that actual number is. Uh, Amazon, uh, you can look this information up. They account for 49% of all, all online retail sale sales. So, so they, is forty nine percent? Is that a hundred percent? No, it's it's actually less than half. All right, so that that one thing alone disqualifies them. They're, but let's 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 <laughs> yeah. maybe they own half of all retail sales, and so they're too big, right? Let's just maybe they're too big. Uh, actually, nope. They account for only five percent of all retail sales. Five percent. That's it. So we're asserting that a business that accounts for five percent of the retail market is a monopoly. So what you're saying is you can still buy products from Walmart and Target. All Kroger, kinds of other re- online retailers. 7-Eleven. I mean, like every store has an online store on it. And actually, a lot of them offer free shipping now because of Amazon. You know, so it, it, just listen to how ridiculous is it. They have 5% of the total retail sales in the U.S. Yeah. And people call them a monopoly. They're wanting to break them up. Yeah. Amazon's too big. Now, what's the next really funny part about that? (laughs) The, the, what Amazon is doing for other businesses. Yeah. So of those sales, uh, of those sales that we talked about, 5%, those 5%, or we can even say, let's just say they're 49%. Let's say that they have the 49% of the e-commerce market. Okay. Of that number, 68% of those are other businesses that are selling things on Amazon, meaning that they're just using Amazon as a website for their store to sell products. Meaning that of that number, of that 49% number of the e-commerce market... Amazon's not even the retailer. They've only got 32% <laughs> of that of that number is actual Amazon-owned products. Actually, Amazon selling the products themselves. Meaning they have... 32% of the 49%, which is f- now they only have 15% of the e-commerce market is Amazon-owned products. That's it, 15%. And that would actually be 1.5% of all retail sales are Amazon-owned products. After you do that math, the rest of it, 
They're third-party sellers. We have an Amazon store. Good Morning Liberty has an Amazon store. We have products on there. I know all kinds of other people that have products on there. In fact... It, technically, we're a retailer. Yeah, technically, we are a retailer. And we did not have to create a giant, vast network for people to come find our products. No, thank you, Jeff Bezos, for doing that for us, for building a website that has a an amazing brand name all around the world and then allowing us to sell our products on it. That's amazing. And how many other people are do how many other people are doing that? Well, in 2015, uh, it was reported over 2 million businesses sell on Amazon. And today we don't have an actual figure, but there's estimates of 5 million different businesses that use Amazon uh, to sell their products and their services. And then you have a measly uh, 25,000 of those businesses through Amazon are grossing more than a million dollars or more. So Amazon has created 25,000 new millionaires. Yeah. Well, people who bring, I mean, they're bringing in a million a year. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, now that's not what they're netting. That's what they're grossing. But the, that's those are sales by people, by small businesses. They could, a lot of them are sole proprietors, people who are creating products and then putting them on Amazon. Those those, a lot of them are mom and pop shops that now yeah. have a way to sell online. Those are those poor old mom and pop shops that you guys, you know, used to care so much about when Walmart sent them out of town. And now Bezos came in here and offered them a way to not only sell the people in their town, but to sell the people all around the entire world. And he built an insanely big network and an amazing brand name. And now your little mom and pop shop or your brother, or your sister, or your cousin can come up with some kind of product and put it on Amazon for the whole world to have access to. Now that's more efficient than having a little mom and pop shop in your in your little hometown. Yeah. For sure. So in what way is Amazon a monopoly? Have we figured this out yet? I'm still looking to see how they're monopolizing this. I don't I think the thing is they're not. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing she mentioned is that uh, you know, Bezos and people like him are getting rich off the backs of his workers. You know, yeah, I, I and there's it. this there's this whole thing. Uh, you and I talked about this on the way to Detroit. Actually, there's this whole notion that um, you know CEOs or or business owners uh, they only get wealthy because uh, they basically are enslaving their workers. Yeah, exploitation. Right, and yep. and here's the thing: uh, as a small business owner myself, and and knowing Bezos's stories, we'll just focus on that. I wonder how many people lined up to help Bezos uh, 20 years ago when Amazon was first starting and it was nothing. I wonder how many people helped him stuff boxes uh, full of books that he was selling. That's what Amazon first started doing was selling books uh, in his living room on his knees. So I think there was one guy with him, his partner. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, And so I bet that guy's sharing in spoils because he was there. He, He probably is. He was there working for no money. Yeah. Right. And most people don't realize how little money business owners work for for a long extended of time until they become successful enough that where their draw from the company does isn't a detriment to yeah. the advance of the company. And so and right now as a small business owner, there's no one. I mean, you guys can call in if you want. And I've got plenty of work for anybody to do um, <laughs> for free yeah. because I can't afford to pay you right now because people aren't paying me enough. Uh, to to grow the business fast enough where I want to yet 
But uh, there's no one lining up to help me grow an empire. Yeah. But if the empire ever gets created, they definitely want to share in that. Yeah. And I just don't see the correlation. It's like, which one comes first? Because without risk, uh, because anytime you start a business, you're risking your own money. Uh, You're risking your house and your family and all the security that you could provide just working a regular job. You know, like I could go get a regular job and, and work there for 40 years and never have to worry um, but I want to do something more than that. So I'm, you know, and this is, goes for all business owners. You're taking a massive risk that hopefully the market responds to. Um, and so who wants to, to share in that risk with me, you know, or yeah. who wanted to share in that risk with Bezos? Yeah. I had the same thing when I was, uh, flipping houses here in Nashville with, with, uh, one of my friends, um, we were employing several people, a lot of people at one point in time. And to be honest with you, uh, I was making during that time, I was only paying myself about $7 an hour. That's all I was allowing myself to make. Now, a lot of my workers made between 15 to $20 an hour or more when I started paying them like per item on the house that they did, which is a funny thing to watch when, when you're paying someone $15 an hour Somehow it will take them an entire week to knock out the list of items, uh, but when you start paying them per item, they can do it in a day. So uh, that's that's one really interesting thing to watch. But you know, I didn't make any money it, unless there was some left over at the end. Like the those people got paid every day, or they got paid every week, but most of the time it was every day. Mm-hmm. And if there was any money left over, then we took some of it, but we never paid each other more than $7 an hour. The rest of it went back into the account so we could save up to pay more people whenever we took on more work and we were waiting to get money. I mean, that's the thing that people don't ever realize. You know, I was, I, I was robbed one time doing this. Um, just a little, uh, a personal story. Uh, it was, it stemmed from pressure washing a house. So uh, pressure washing the house, you can end up getting paid like $400 to do it. So we had a person pressure wash a house, took them about four hours to do it, and they're getting paid $15 an hour. So they got paid 60 bucks. Now, at some point in time, they found out how much I got paid for pressure washing the house, which was $400. And then that person proceeded to steal about $6,000 worth of tools from me, and uh, we had given them... This was a mistake on my part, obviously. Uh, they worked for us for a while, uh, so we gave them the card to go buy some supplies, and then they just went to the ATM and cleared out our bank account as well. Um, so, And that was all because of this mentality, by the way. That's what it's stemming back to, this, this mentality that they were being exploited by the business owner, that they were only making a little bit, a, re- a really, really small percentage portion of the money that was coming in, so they were obviously getting exploited. And what they failed to realize was that, well, that pressure washer cost five, six hundred bucks at least. Uh, what what was going to happen if they were pressure washing and they knocked the siding off the person's house, which is a possibility if you take the wrong angle with the pressure washer? Uh, well, I would have had to pay to put new siding on the house. Um, if that would have caused any kind of leaking, well, I would have had to pay for that too. If they would have been injured in any, any kind of way during that job, they were going to sue the hell out of me. Insurance. Um, so if the pressure washer broke while they were doing this, if something went wrong with the engine and we had to get a new pressure washer, well, I was just going to go have to buy a new one. You know, there's all these things, and not to mention the fact that I bought that one, and that's the only way they were able to do the pressure washing job in the first place, because they didn't have their own, one of them. So it's like this mentality. Now, that's obviously a really small scale, but... The socialist 
really have this the the worker owned business mentality you know kind of like what you were talking about like the the workers are all getting exploited what we really need are worker owned businesses so these the business owners aren't exploiting all of their workers and and like charlie said it and i always call this the chicken or the egg scenario you have to decide which one comes first and what always comes first is someone has to take out the risk the investment the time and the money to create something and then a bunch of people work there now it's also true that that person couldn't make a lot of money if all those people didn't work there but it's most definitely true that none of those people would have had a job if that person wouldn't have taken out all the time and risk to do it Mm -hmm. so that's why we like to focus on the production side of an economy because when you incentivize the production that's the part that happens first in an economy that's what creates growth is that person putting in the time and risk so they can create something that's the production side uh, a lot of our taxes uh, hinder the production side. Just corporate taxes, sales taxes, all these, you know, Yang's proposing a, a VAT tax, which will be on, you know, wholesale goods, things like that. So um, there's really this this mentality, and people have it about Jeff Bezos, that he's exploiting all of these people. And one thing I think is really interesting to look at is the amount of money that Jeff Bezos is worth. You know, um, Bernie proposed this wealth tax, and people have this idea that Jeff Bezos is worth about $170 billion, which is true. But people have to look into that and say, okay, well, does he actually have that money or what makes up that worth? Well, 90% of Jeff Bezos' worth is, is an Amazon stock. And then another thing that people need to realize about corporations is that what they're worth does not necessarily mean that that's how much money they've made off of things. That's actually um, almost never the case at all. It's not like you're worth, Charlie. Like, if you paid off all your bills and you kept making money and buying assets and didn't keep any debt, well, you would have a net worth that would be there. And it's a direct representation of the money that you've made versus the money that you spent. And that's your net worth. That's not how a company's net worth is dictated. That's dictated by the amount of people that want to invest into the company and how much money have investors put into it. So you have. Amazon that's worth a trillion dollars, right around a trillion. You know how much money Amazon has made in total in net profit, what they've actually profited? Net or gross? Net profit, what they have actually made, because we're going to draw this in comparison to how you would accumulate net net worth or net wealth. And, the and how like a business, n- yeah. Nine billion net? It's 20, 21 billion okay. total. So since Amazon was started, 20 they, years ago. 20 years ago, they have a net profit all together, all of it added together, of $21 billion. Yet they're worth a trillion. And this is kind of the problem. I think it gets into the, it hurts that socialist part of the mindset because they hear that trillion dollar number. And they think that means that Amazon's profited like a trillion dollars and they've got that sitting somewhere on the side and that needs to be going somewhere to help. But they don't realize that, that's not Amazon's money. That's your parents' pension and 401k and mutual fund and IRA and some other people on Wall Street. You know, it's that money that is what is has made up the worth of Amazon because they've decided to be investors in Amazon. So I don't know. We just need to figure out all the different things we can do to talk to people. You did a good job talking 
talking to this girl. I mean, it it ended. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not like you guys were just trading personal attacks back and forth. So that was good. <clears throat> and here's uh, there's a good illustration in basic economics that you and I were talking about when it goes to um, what people's worth is and why uh, business owners get to make more than everyone else. Um, there's a there is a, a guy, and maybe you can help me with the story if I mess it up. I don't think I will, though. But in a city, this guy showed up to a new city, and there was an artist there, and he was uh, painting people's portraits. And uh, he, the, he had this guy uh, paint him a portrait of himself, a, a self-portrait, if you will. And what happened was is it took the guy about maybe 10 or 15 minutes, and he handed him his portrait, and he's like, uh, that'll be $50. And the guy's like, whoa, 50 bucks, man. This only this only took you 10 minutes to draw me. And the guy replies, uh, no, sir, that took me uh, 20 years and 10 minutes. <laughs> and so what people don't realize, and it's the same in my job, right? I mean, I've, I have uh, about seven years worth of experience in uh, the particular expertise that I'm in. And so what I charge for my services includes that seven years uh, to get the job done faster. So uh, you can pay an artist uh, who's never started out before, whatever they're worth per hour, let's say. Um, but if it's a brand new artist who's never been doing it, for him to get the same quality of picture, it might take you know four or five or six hours. Yeah. Uh, but over time, you gain that experience. And this is the same thing with, with business owners, right? It's like, look, I demand the payment for my business that I get because I've invested 20 years into this, into this business, right? I have taken the time and the risk, uh, to, to craft my skills, to craft my ideas. You know, I don't understand why we don't do the same thing with like authors, right? Like if somebody writes a book, um, and they, they sell the copy of that book, I guess Bernie Sanders is a good example. You know, like why, uh, why doesn't he owe us like 20 pages of his book? You know, <laughs> I don't know because a business is the same thing, right? You, you're telling a story with your business. Like you wrote the words on the pages, right? Those were your ideas. And if an author has an idea, they write a book out or whatever and they sell it. Well, how come they don't owe anybody a couple of pages? I'm sure Bernie Sanders split the profits from his book with all of the book factory workers. There, there's no way that they were just getting paid the minimum wage. And I bet his book wasn't printed in China or no, anything. No way. There's no way. It's printed by people making at least $15 an hour. And making a living wage, and he's going to make sure that you know all that money just gets spread out evenly among all of them. There's no way he got paid like twenty thousand times more an hour for writing that book that he probably didn't even write. Yeah, more than likely, somebody wrote it down for him. Yeah, and then yeah, he he had his ideas out there, and then someone made it into a book and put his name on. Anyway, so one thing that I think we need to do, and it's something we were focusing on this weekend, and all this talk about monopoly and being a business owner and what's right and what isn't right. Is there a solution to this problem, Charlie? Is there some kind of solution? There actually is. What's that? Well, if you're talking about, if we get away from the monopoly discussion, because obviously we clearly define that Amazon's not a monopoly, but it, can you make an argument that, uh, you know, smaller and smaller businesses are going away and they're all, all the businesses going to the large corporations. And it seems, um, maybe a little unfair. You can make that argument that more of the market share is going to smaller and smaller hands. Now, how do we actually fix that problem? Do we rely on government to break those corporations up uh, through force? 
Uh, do we institute these wealth taxes and all of this? Like, do we think that's actually going to solve the problem or is it going to make it worse? Yeah. And the alternative to that is uh, you have to look at why it's tougher for smaller competitors. The car industry is a great example. And the main reason behind uh, competitors not being able to compete, there's a few of them, uh, but they all stem from government policy. Yeah. So you have uh, government policy in the financial institutions, and you also have government policy in laws and regulations. You know, there's there's all kinds of examples of this playing out. I think an easy one to look at is licensure laws. So a lot of your state and local governments, um, they, they have regulation and laws based on have, needing to have a license for things like braiding hair. Yeah. Now, we got that repealed in Tennessee, thank God. But the cosmo- now you can finally get your hair braided. Right, without, without having to pay somebody an exorbitant amount of money. What was happening was is these cosmetology schools lobbied the government to pass regulations saying that you had to have a cosmetology license if you wanted to, to braid hair. And the reason for that is is because the cosmetologists that were coming out of school were they were ending up in twenty, thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars worth of debt. So they had to charge instead of being able to charge, you know, ten dollars to braid hair, they were having to charge like thirty or forty dollars to braid hair so they could pay their loans back. Well, that seemed unfair because they were always getting undercut by people who didn't have a license. So they they lobbied the government to say, hey, we need to make sure that there's a license for this. Well, what does that do to competition that allows for number one? It hurts poor people because poor people can't afford to go to cosmetology school. And even though they are good at braiding hair, uh, they're not allowed to because they don't have a license. And so it creates this uh, huge, huge barrier on the market uh, that hurts poor people. And it hurts all the consumers because consumers don't have the choices that they, they want to make. Uh, the car industry is a great example of this because the car industry lobbies for all these rules like airbags and sensors and lane assist and, uh, you know, miles per gallon and backup, all of these things. backup cameras, backup cameras. They make all of these requirement. Why? Because then it's more expensive to produce a car. And so then who's going to start a brand new car company uh, when you have all those all these requirements that you have to have to create a, a vehicle. Now I'm not saying you could, God, you can make the argument while well, we have to have a standard of safety, whatever, uh, take that out of it. What I'm saying is, is that when, you know, if I wanted to drive a car that had no standards of safety, right, that's my choice. Um, but we can, if somebody wants to push back on that, it doesn't matter. We can, we can go to the simpler issues like the braiding of the hair. <laughs> I think that's one that's an easy one to understand. So the way to fix that is, is we have to scale back these, you know, licensing laws, the the regulations, the things that the government does to make it harder to start a business. It is so ridiculously difficult to start a business and it keeps uh, competitors from rising up. Yeah. The funny part about the car thing I was going to say real quick is that a, a lot of people would argue, well, we need those safety laws for cars. We need the standard of safety in cars, because if we didn't have that, then, you know, people would be dying or cars would be too unsafe. But the really funny part about that is you can say, oh, we got to have these safety laws. They got to be a standard of safety. Um, but I mean, if you want to ride a motorcycle, that's your choice. You know, no problem. Now, a car has got to be like, you know, eventually you know it's going to be like all this foam pops out and there's no possible way you'd be injured but if you want to ride a motorcycle that's your choice yeah 
Yeah, yeah, no problem. And I'm saying it should be your choice. It should be your choice if you want to be in a in a car that is cheaper and maybe it's less safe, but maybe it's a whole lot cheaper. You know, um, I know that we've had stories of some of these cars uh, from India that get really great gas mileage, but they didn't meet safety standards, so they're they're not able to sell them here. Uh, some of these cars over in Europe or some of these other countries that they they just can't be brought here because they don't meet our safety regulations. And I get the want for doing that. But it's it's not necessarily always always a benefit, and then again, you're just taking away people's right to choose uh, their level of safety. So, like Charlie said, the solution to this problem—if you want to offer someone a solution—maybe someone comes up to you and says, "All these businesses—they're just creating monopolies, and competitors can't get in." Well. First off, you have to decide if that's actually a real problem. Now, when we talk about Amazon. Um, I don't see that this is a problem yet. So it's a little hard to propose a solution for something that isn't a problem. So sometimes on here, when we talk about these things, uh, especially with this, with this monopoly thing, um, we're going to go into a solutions segment. And like I just said, it's, it's hard to propose a solution for something that is probably not a problem. But what you can do is say, hey, Look at all these laws. Look at all these regulations. Look at all these barriers for entry for people who maybe don't have enough startup cash and all, all these things. Um, maybe we could do something to make it easier for competition to come into the market. You know, would would that be a bad thing? Should people have to go through all these processes? Should you have to uh, should you have to pay so much money to your government to start a corporation and all of these things? You know, why do you have to pay? all this money for filing your paperwork and all that. Why do you have to do that every single year as a corporation? You know, why are you why are you taxed sometimes when you're barely making any money? You know, it's it's a a lot of these things you could do for small businesses um, that that really could help this market and could help the problem of whether or not there is in fact a monopoly. So uh, as you can tell, Charlie, Charlie, Charlie left. He got mad, left. No, he had a phone call. Um, so anyway, guys, um, if you found us at Young Americans for Liberty this weekend, we are so happy to have you. And we're going to do this every single day of the week, all the time. So we appreciate you being here. Uh, go follow us on Instagram at Good Morning Liberty. Follow us on Twitter at Good AM Liberty. Look us up on Facebook. That is Good Morning Liberty. Go to our website, goodmorningliberty.us or bernielies.com if you want to read some great articles articles on politics and economics. If you guys do all that stuff, we will be right back here tomorrow. Until then, have a good day and a good morning, Liberty.